Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is KJ and Taylor is here as well and we have a guest today. Chelsea Peterson is here to talk to us about all things physical intimacy in relationships and Chelsea is a licensed marriage and family therapist and she owns Cash Valley Counseling where I work. I just really look up to her and her work with couples. So welcome, Chelsea. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Yeah, I am certified in emotionally focused therapy as well, um, which just means that I have specific training in working with couples. Um, And I see most of my clients are couples and work primarily with couples. Um, I do a lot of individuals as well, but mostly couples. I love... um, working and seeing with couples, seeing couples and being in that type of uh, situation. So it's fun. Well, we have a slew of questions for you today. So away. <laughs> all right. It is an important aspect in a relationship to check in about your sex life. And so my first question is, how often would you recommend that couples check in about their sex life? Often, as often as necessary. It's a somewhat hard question because it's there's no one sure answer for everyone, right? So there's always life changes happening, but particularly whenever there's like a major life change, like pregnancy, um, those changes often bring about changes in our intimacy, changes in how we feel about ourselves. Check in with your spouse as often as you can. And what do you recommend those check-ins kind of look like? Do you coach couples in sessions just about how to kind of approach those conversations in a way that won't bring about like shame and discomfort? Yeah. So it's important to have those conversations with, and it it depends on every couple. Uh, Where I typically start with having those conversations are kind of where are the blocks with their sexuality, whether it's like, I, I want to have a higher desire or my partner has a higher desire. I have a lower desire and I want to be closer to their desire amount, or I'm never wanting sex or any of that. Um, it's, it's easier to start. Well, maybe not easier because they're the hard parts, but to start with where those blocks are for you. Um, and those blocks are things that typically come from things that we learned or were taught by our our parents, society, uh, growing up, experiences that we had. And oftentimes those um, inform, those blocks inform how we see ourselves or our partner. And that's not just, that's in very general um, and happens even in relationships, non-sexual relationships, but particularly in sexual relationships and, and being intimate with someone you know, sex is like the most vulnerable thing that we can share with somebody. Um, you know, we're th- 
thinking about it, like you're completely exposed. You're, there's nothing hiding you. I can't be someone else. I mean, I guess you can, if that's a fantasy or something that you like, but you typically are being your most raw version of yourself. And sharing that with someone is very, it's very vulnerable. It's very scary for some people. Um, and it can also bring up a lot of, a lot of blocks. And so I encourage couples to talk about some of their, their roadblocks and that can be different for every, every person. Um, sometimes that's a, how I view myself or how I view sex in general. Um, if you grew up in somewhat of a more kind of conservative Christian culture, oftentimes we have the negative view of sex, of sex is immoral or sex is wrong or sex is bad. And then we have a wedding and then all of a sudden everything is fair game. And sometimes that's a really <laughs> drastic shift for people to make. And it's like turning the light switch off and now all of a sudden it's on. And there's that's what I find um, with a lot of people, men and women, struggle with this is something I'm not supposed to want. I'm not supposed to desire. I'm not supposed to enjoy being aroused. And now all of a sudden, I'm supposed to do it and I'm supposed to like it and I'm supposed to be okay with it. And that's a really, just a really hard shift. And so things like that could be a block things like, um, any sexual trauma that someone might have had. Um, other things can also be silly things like that we learned in high school of, you know, those people that were maybe a little, had not as high of standards as other people that were, sleeping around or had multiple partners in high school or things like that often kind of got a reputation of being a slut or being a floozy or being, you know, all of these like negative terms. And so to want that and to desire that oftentimes we just learn to shut it down and to kind of put a lid on it. And it becomes hard for many people to sort of shift that thinking once they get married. Mm. So I usually will coach couples into starting to talk about those roadblocks that come up for them. Um, you know, a lot of what I find is a lot of, a lot of people, men and women don't even know their own anatomy or don't even know their partner's anatomy. And it's like, you want me to put what, where, and, and that feels good. How, and what's that stuff coming out of you or like whatever it is, it's just, it can be kind of a, intimidating thing. And so even just basic general education is really, really helpful for, for people just to even learn about their bodies. Um, and so sometimes for couples, it's a basic education of like, do you even know what your clitoris is? <laughs> do you, does your partner know what that is and what that feels like? And, and, and coaching them through, through that, um, and so it's helping them, you know, find resources that they feel comfortable with that aren't too pornographic if they if they are uncomfortable with that, but can also help sort of give them that exposure so that they can have that education. Because many people, many, many people tell me, we never talked about this. My parents never talked about sex. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had not even getting into, but I had no idea even what sex was really about. You know, you sort of see something on TV, but then it, you don't see it all and you see the great parts and not the maybe uncomfortable parts or the like, okay, now I got to go shower and you know, all of those yeah. things. You don't see that 
fun, the not fun part of it. Um, and so sometimes it's really hard for people to even start to talk about it because the discussions just haven't happened for them growing up. Um, and so I encourage couples just to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about when you're talking about the blocks that a lot of people think like, okay, if I'm having a sex problem, then I have to have like a sexual block or something that's really just obviously sexual by like what you mentioned about like, it could be like something that's happened in your life that's just affected how you're feeling about your own body. And I love that because it just kind of like opens your eyes that this isn't just about intercourse. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much more. There is, there's so much more to it. Sometimes it's, you know, about loving yourself as much as being able to be open with your spouse as well. And like you mentioned with those blocks, it it sounds to me like when you're talking about coaching those couples that you almost have to do a lot of self-evaluation for your own blocks before you can even begin that conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of times people don't even, they really just don't even know where to start the conversation. Um, And so some, a lot of times it's just giving them a little prompt and saying like, go discuss this, like, think about it, discuss it, talk about why yours is different than yours. Um, Oftentimes I'll have couples write down like every negative belief that they have about sex, not together, but individually, and then talk about kind of debunk those beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if it's like, well, if I have a belief that, you know, it was men are sexual and women aren't yet, I'm finding myself being the woman in the relationship, being more desired or having that more sexual, higher sexual desire then I might think of myself as dirty or bad or wrong, something's wrong with me. And then I'm questioning myself when that myth or that what I was taught or what I believe is really the problem. Mm-hmm. And so your, your partner can kind of help you work through that and say, well, that's not true. And here's why this isn't true. And this is what this looks like for us and, and, and different things like that. Yeah, I think if you just look at like the act of sex just as it is, you'd be like, oh, well, it's a simple process, but it is so complex, so many layers to it. It totally is. It is never just about sex. (laughs) There's a lot of a lot of layers and there's a lot of things, you know, um, stress and anxiety is totally one of those things that is a total mood killer for men and for women. And so, you know, oftentimes when couples are finding that um, one partner is really stressed about something at work or something at, you know, they've got a big test coming up or there's a certain time of year that's a little more stressful for them, they may not be as, typically they may be the higher desire partner in the relationship, but now all of a sudden this has come up and I'm no longer desiring that. And so now we're not having sex at all because I'm being the higher desire partner I'm not really the one pursuing for that. I'm not the one really kind of pushing for it. So then we don't have sex for, you know, however long this stressful period lasts. And, and then people get into a rut of, you know, who asks and who doesn't ask and who pursues and who initiates and all of that, that gets really kind of tricky for some couples to get out of, but, but stress and anxiety is definitely, it's an individual thing, but it definitely affects and impacts the bedroom. 
Do you ever recommend to couples that they schedule sex? Like this day of the week, we know that it's going to happen or what do you typically recommend? Um, sometimes it, it, again, I'm, I'm always going to go back to this. It always depends, right? Because it always depends on what one, what works for one couple or partnership doesn't always work for another. It's helpful in these situations. If a woman is able to, or a partner is able to say like, okay, tonight I know I'm going to, we're going to have sex. It's our night to have sex. Sometimes that helps them to just be a little bit more thoughtful about it. Like, oh, tonight we're going to have sex. I'm actually going to shave my legs today. Like I'm actually going to like maybe put on some lotion or change my clothes or pull up my hair or do something different because you're actually thinking about it. And the more you're thinking about it, the more prepared your body is going to be, the more responsive your body is going to be. And so for some people, particularly the lower desire partner, it can be helpful to schedule sex. It may not always be necessary, but it it may be helpful because it takes some of those roadblocks and sometimes even the awkwardness of like, well, I don't know, or tonight are we doing it or tonight we're not or like what's going on? It maybe sometimes makes it a little easier to just know like, yeah, tonight it's on the docket. It's written in our schedule. Um, But of course, you also don't want it to be this scheduled thing of like, yep, it's Wednesday night. We're having sex. And, you know, here's our. 10 minutes or whatever it is, like you don't want it to become another task or another to-do list, but it can be helpful for some people to sort of help set them up and get them in that mindset. If you have a couple come into your office and they go long periods of time without having sex or connecting physically, but they both communicate that they're fine with that, would that to you as a therapist be a concern or if they are communicating that they're fine with it, is that fine? I would say it's fine. Um, It totally, again, depends on the couple and if they are both communicating that and they both really do feel okay with a lesser frequency and they're happy and satisfied in that, then absolutely that is totally okay. Um, I would say for as far as frequency goes, most couples um, and that being couples with kids and who have busy lives and things like that are two to three times a week is pretty average. Um, However, there are people that have sex every single day and there are people that have sex like a couple times a month or even less than that. So it totally just kind of depends. I think the what I look for is the healthiness in the attitude towards sex. Is there a reason that we're avoiding it? Or is this just what works for us? Like this helps us feel safe and connected, or we feel disconnected when we aren't having sex, or it's too long of a time period. And so I would, I usually ask them, you know, if they, if they, aren't having sex super frequently, if they really are both okay with it, uh, if how they're, yeah, how, how they came to that, what has that always changed and sort of just have that healthy balance of flexibility that it's not so rigid that like we can't have sex more than twice a month or whatever it is, but that it's like, well, sometimes, I don't know, some weeks we have sex four or five times a week and then we haven't don't have sex for three weeks. And, you know, it's just kind of depends on the couple and, and the frequency can, can sort of vary um, as long as they're communicating about it. And both, both parties are happy. Both people are happy. I think that's a really good point and something that hopefully is good for people to hear because I could see how 
you know, if at one point in your relationship it was really often and then that shifts and you feel okay with it and your partner seems to or you communicate and they are okay with it, there can still be some of that back of the mind like dialogue going on of like, is this really okay? And so just that understanding that it can ebb and flow and you can still be fine if you're both feeling good about it. Totally. And I think it goes back to that communication part of it, right? If you're communicating about it and you're both happy and you both are satisfied with that, then yes, absolutely. Less frequency is not always, frequency is not always the the key point. It's not a, a determinant of the health of a relationship. So you mentioned earlier just about resources that people have. You kind of mentioned it when we were talking about like, just hitting the ground running if people haven't really talked about it growing up or really had sexual experiences growing up and then they get married or what in a relationship or whatever and they start having sex it can be a bit of a shock and just kind of turn into something that's more complicated emotionally so do you have resources that you recommend for people who might be in that situation Yeah, I love the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. She is really well written. It's very, it has an education portion and then it has just an understanding portion. I talked about um, exciters and inhibitors and she talks about them as well in that. That's where I've I've gotten those terms from is from her. Um, To think about them more of like things that excite me, things that arouse me, things that turn me on. Um, and things that inhibit that. Um, She also talks about instead of sex being a, um, sex being a desire rather than a a sex drive, right? And so it's not something that, a drive is something that you can kind of turn on and off, and a desire is something that more ebbs and flows, right? And so she does talk about the the brake pedal and the, and the gas pedal, and those being the um, inhibitors and the exciters, right? If we want to put the gas pedal on, we do more exciters. We do more things that are, help our body become more aroused. Um, If we have a lot of um, breaks, like it's really uncomfortable for me to have sex in my in-laws house or something like that, or we don't have a lock on our door and I'm worried about the kids coming in or things like that. Those are just like, those are just a few examples of breaks that might come up that inhibit intimacy between couples. Um, Another book I really love is she comes first. Oftentimes when I have a woman who kind of understands her sexual needs, but can't quite let her husband in or say like, I need a little help with kind of getting warmed up or becoming aroused or things like that. Um, I usually will recommend that they read She Comes First by Ian Kerner, I think is his name. And he, it's just a really good one. It, it talks just more, more specifically about women and them kind of being turned on and how men can kind of help that and, and sort of meet her needs and doing that makes the sexual experience typically a little easier for both partners. Um, again, that's not always the case, but depending on the couple, that's a, that's a really great resource that I have a lot of couples read. Um, 
I like to think about women as being more crockpots and men being more microwaves. And sometimes you got to like, you can't just like put something in the crockpot and expect it to just be ready for dinner in 20 minutes, right? So women are a little bit more, it takes a little longer for them to, to get ready. And so um, that, that she comes first really does a great job kind of educating both women and to their bodies and orienting them to why that is and uh, helping their, their male partners also be able to have that education as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another, a podcast that I love that I recommend to most couples is um, it's called Foreplay Radio by uh, George Fowler and Lori Watson are they're out of New York and Lori is a sex therapist and George is a marriage. He's a family therapist. He's a couples therapist. Um, George is one of my kind of trainers through the EFT process. And um, he's really fantastic at what he does. And Lori is just, Lori is just amazing at um, kind of her sexual uh, therapy background and things like that. And they really do a really great job. Um, just being informative. Um, and so I think if people ever struggling with like, oh, I don't know, like, how do I even have this conversation? How, do I even raising awareness of themselves? What are my sexual needs? What are my partner's sexual needs? Like, and, and sometimes it's even enlightening for me to be like, oh yeah, men and women really are different. And, and sexually they need different, their needs are different. Um, and so it's a great informative radio podcast that is most of the episodes are relatively short and they're just, it's really, it's really great. They have a ton of information um, and they're really easy to listen to. So it's, it's definitely those, those are kind of my go-to resources. Um, The come as you are stuff from Emily. um, She has a website as well that sometimes I'll, I'll have couples do some of the worksheets on them. Um, it has people think about kind of when were the times that they were, did they have a really great sexual experience and what was going on? What was happening? Where were you at emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, all of those things It has you kind of think about them and think about times kind of when it was the worst, you know, and, and what was happening and how do you sort of make a roadmap or a plan for having really great sex more often than you're not having great sex. Um, and so there's some good workshops or worksheets that sometimes I will have couples do that is on um, Emily's website that I will, will link people to as well. But those are just some resources that I give some of my couples. And do you have any recommendations for things people can do just kind of on their own, you know, outside of the relationship on their own to really kind of tap into you know, what their blocks might be. Yeah. Um, even just thinking about like, what are my blocks? What is my, what's my view of sexuality? What's my view of intimacy? What's my view of, if you were raised in kind of a conservative Christian culture, um, if I was taught, you know, sex is, is bad, it's dirty, it's gross. It's not something that you're supposed to have until marriage or those sort of things. Um, and you kind of got used to shutting down all those desires all the time. Um, those can be just negative habits that stick with you and even after marriage. And so even just thinking about that, well, what are my views of sex? How do I view sex? 
being more open with it. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, sit down and have a conversation with your three-year-old about how sex works and, you know, the gory details of the ins and outs, but not being afraid to talk about it, not being afraid to talk about different body parts and not being afraid to let them see you naked, you know, or, 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 you know, being ashamed of even nakedness or your own sexuality sometimes can be um, kind of not damaging, but it can, if we're so closed about it all the time, it can create um, roadblocks for our kids and, and their ability to be open, be more open sexually as well. Um, That certainly doesn't mean that you can't set standards or things like that, but being open about it and, and answering questions. Um, Again, going back to lots of my clients, which is like, I wish my parents talked about it more. And so being more open with that, um, spending time kind of thinking about what are my roadblocks, what experiences have I had, what negative experiences have I had, what positive experiences have I had, what helps me be more, what turns me on, um, what, what do I find attractive in my partner or my spouse um, can really be helpful in just kind of thinking about that. Um, exploring your body, not necessarily like in a masturbation type of way, but getting familiar with what feels good, what doesn't feel good, um, helping yourself by sort of pushing your boundaries or pushing your limits a little bit to what feels comfortable as far as, um, positions or places or kind of mixing things up kind of in that department can also be helpful of what I'm comfortable with, what I'm not comfortable with. Um, certainly conversations with, with trusted friends and, and family. Um, if you can have those conversations with some girlfriends or some guy friends or things like that of like, is this normal? Is this, is this, have you guys seen this or experienced this in your relationship? And of course, like if you haven't, everybody's different. Remembering everybody's different and everyone's need is different. And so what's normal for you isn't necessarily going to be what's normal for the next couple. Um, But having somebody you can kind of talk to and feel open with, particularly if that's your spouse, um, and hopefully it is, that the two of you can kind of do some research on your own as well. I like the idea of being able to do some of that work on your own too, because I know that in situations like this, couples can feel really powerless. Like, oh, this is just something that we can't seem to come together on. We can't seem to get it right. We're so stuck, you know, in this, or maybe they're in like that avoidant place of like, oh, we're just not going to talk about it. If we don't talk about it, it'll probably go away. But I like the idea of like, like you said a couple of times, like taking a step back and then taking that time to really be like, okay, let me take some control that I have. Like, let me look within, let me figure out my body. Let me figure out my mind. Let me figure out my mind body connection and how that's working for this whole situation. I like that. I feel like that's very, that's like a very empowering perspective to take in it that you can do some significant work on your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And figuring out what it takes for you to be in that mindset, what it takes for me to feel, to let myself feel aroused and feel comfortable letting myself feel aroused. Mm -hmm. Um, So often people, again, we get, just get that. This is bad. This is, this is dangerous. I shouldn't feel this. And they just suppress those, those thoughts and feelings and that mind body connection gets 
skewed, right? Our, our body learns to, oh yeah, when I'm having this feeling or this emotion or this arousal, shut it down, mm-hmm. put a lid on it, mm-hmm. don't feel it. Um, and, and that isn't always a, a good thing when we're listening to our bodies and being able to really explore what feels good um, can be a really, can be a really healthy thing, particularly when you're in a marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that what you just said, it just has, was so profound to me, that whole like, let yourself be aroused. It's not like, oh, my body is or is it isn't, but it's like, you are, you are allowing it, you're allowing it or you're shutting it down. And it's yeah. like, well, then why, why are you shutting it down? Like, why are you allowing it? There's so, oh, there's so much there. Oh, it's, there's so much there. And like, that's such an important piece and for every person. And that's where, you know, every, I like to explain to my couples, like difference in preferences or desires or things. And I always take it back to food. I'm like, I don't like the same foods my husband likes. And I certainly don't expect him to like every single food that I like. Yeah. We sort of eat the same thing because we eat the same meals, but I don't like exact, I don't like all the hot stuff stuff he puts on it. Like I don't like all that stuff, but he, he loves it. And you know, he doesn't like all the bland food that I'm like, Oh, just add a little bit more butter. It's fine. Right. Um, whatever he, he, and so those, those preferences, it's important to remember that we are going to be different than our spouse. We're going to be different than the next person. And what turns me on isn't necessarily going to turn my husband on or my spouse on and what turns him on isn't necessarily going to turn me on. And so being open to exploring that. Um, and of course, staying within your bounds, right? Everyone has limits that they totally feel comfortable with and, and that they totally don't feel comfortable with and staying within those limits and being respectful of those is, is definitely key to that, that safety and connection, but you certainly don't want to expect it to be the same Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and so reminding yourself of that, that, that there is, it's healthy to be different. Yeah. Are there any pointers that you would give couples on having these conversations without the shame element, without kind of either feeling shame yourself or shaming your partner? Because I know shame is obviously with sexual intimacy and just our bot, like every shame is everything everywhere, I feel like, but plays a big role here. Totally does. And it goes back to, I see shame playing the biggest part is when people feel like it's bad, it's dirty, therefore I'm bad, I'm dirty. And then they start to shut those those arousal feelings down. And so um, being able to really do that and explore that in a really safe way of what does my body like? What does turn me on? What does get me aroused? Um, what helps me think about sex a little bit more throughout the day rather than suppress, 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 suppress. And then now all of a sudden I'm home and it's 10 o'clock at night and there you are in bed and here we go, right? Like it just, we haven't thought about it all day, right? And all of a sudden we're just supposed to be ready to go. And so thinking about what does help you become more aroused is really is really important and, and helps decrease that shame um, because of those shame is, is mostly comes from those, those negative thoughts about ourself that aren't true. And so starting there is really helpful of like, well, where does that all come from? Mm-hmm. And where, why does that play a such a significant role in my life? Right. If I have had, let's say sexual trauma in my life and all those feelings or arousal come up and I feel like I'm bad or that I'm not 
worthy or wholesome because of this experience that I had, there's so much power in being able to have your spouse help you work through that and say, I'm here. I love you. You are totally worthy. And it's such a very emotional moment and, and sexually connecting and healing moment that can really help to, to start to work through those shameful moments. And so really being able to kind of pinpoint where is that shame coming from, whether it be sexual trauma or whether it be um, just societal norms um, or, or societal pressures or expectations, yeah. um, really starting to, to look at your belief around sex um, and even body image. Body image is so huge. Oh. And um, especially with this whole societal norms that you just mentioned, right? Like, totally. Like, totally. oh, I don't look like that woman. Like, this is an attractive, sexually, you know, kind of like this is a desirable woman. This is what she looks like. And if right. I don't look like that, right. how can I be desirable? Right. And I, I find that coming up a lot with people who have not even – necessarily had a partner who's has like an active porn addiction or anything like that but it definitely plays a part in someone who you know whose partner has viewed or looked at porn or and they're aware of that it can be like well do you want me <laughs> am i what you want cuz i'm not like that girl that you were watching on you know whatever you were watching and so we get into our heads and we start to second guess or question that and and really oftentimes it's not about that for whoever's viewing pornography. It's not about what's on the other side of the screen. It's about those emotions they're feeling themselves. And so having those conversations um, is so important. Just starting the conversation is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Well, and like all this work and shifting that shame and mindset can hopefully get people to a place where it's like sex is for me, sex is for my enjoyment and then that can, you know, move you from sex as a chore and just a to-do list item and something that I have to do for my spouse more to sex is something I get to do for me and for us and for us to enjoy together. Absolutely. So if people try some of these things that we've talked about today and they're still feeling stuck, would you recommend that be a time to look into therapy and how do people know, okay, maybe I just need to go as an individual or how do we know that we should go together? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always, you can never go wrong doing couples therapy, right? Um, you're, when you go to therapy individually, you're kind of discovering things about your yourself. And if your partner's there sort of discovering things about yourself, oftentimes not even sex related, I'll have someone sort of tell me like, tell me about growing up, tell me about your growing up years and what it was like growing up in your family. And, you know, their spouse has heard it 20 times. They, they know the story, but hearing it in a therapy room from a different perspective, me maybe asking some different questions are like, oh yeah, your parents were a psycho or like, oh yeah, you really did have a rough childhood or like, man, you really did have it easy or whatever it is. It's like, just that reminder. Um, and so I always encourage if anyone's going to go, especially for a couple, a couple issue like intimacy or sex, it's always better to start out as couples. And then if your therapist is like, you know what, this is maybe more of an individual issue. It's it, you can then decide to be, to go in the individual route. Um, 
but you know, if, if you're finding that you can't have these conversations with your spouse for whatever reason, but I want to become more introspective myself or more aware of myself, it certainly is great to go by yourself. Um, a, even before therapy, education, educating yourself in some way, whether it be um, reading a book or um, Jennifer Finlayson Fife has some awesome workshops on um, sexuality and your own intimacy and being more aware of yourself and things like that. So find find a podcast. There is, I know I just mentioned one, but there are tons out there. Find something that speaks to you and feels like, oh yeah, this is me and I can relate and they get me and okay, like maybe I'm going to try this or things like that that can help you start to challenge your own beliefs in yourself and, and in sexuality. And it, I would first start with education. Um, and if then you're kind of not able to gain that clarity, therapy can often be very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to normalize therapy for this issue, a lot of people go to therapy for this. And I think that may hold people back that it's like embarrassing or they feel shame about it. But a lot of people are working Mm -hmm. on this stuff in the therapy office. As we started out saying, it is so deep. It is such a big layer. Like it's not just about intimacy. There's so many other layers to all of this. And, and I mean, I'm trained to kind of look at all of this and see this from all these sort of different angles. And the everyday person isn't. That's why we go to doctors and, you know, lawyers and things like that, because you would go to these people who are specialized in this. And so why would you not go to therapy to someone who sort of knows this and deals with this every day and maybe can see something that, that you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that like emotional intimacy and physical intimacy connection. It's like when Chelsea was just telling us about like, oh yeah, if you're like sitting there with your partner and you're discussing your childhood, like that kind of validation and nurturing of that fondness and admiration, it really bridges that emotional intimacy. And it's kind of like you are more likely to want to be physically intimate with somebody if you're emotionally intimate with somebody. And therapy is a great way to kind of bridge some of those gaps and make you feel more connected emotionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you can, you can have one and without the other, but they are definitely more satisfying and they are definitely more fulfilling when that emotional and sexual experience is combined, right? You can have one night stands all the time, I guess. I don't know. I've never tried it, but apparently people do it all the time. Um, And, and there's without that emotional connection, but to be really satisfied and to feel really safe and secure in a relationship, that emotional and physical intimacy is so important. And it's one there, they go hand in hand. And when you work on one, you work on another. It's, it's really, it's really awesome to see that bridge, that, that, that bridge over the gap. That's sometimes really huge that, you know, sometimes a male partner will come in and be like, it's just our sex issues. It's just it. If we just fix our sex issues. And then sometimes it's like, well, hang on. <laughs> and it, sometimes the wives will come in and it's always like, well, if we could just, if he would just hear me more, if he would just communicate more with me. And it, it's really that, um, you know, they're both longing for that connection. They're both longing for that understanding from their partner. And it's just how, what we're asking for to get that need met. Well, Chelsea, we just want to thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom. I have yielded so much from it just personally. Um, 
But just to summarize some of those really good things that Chelsea has talked about. Firstly, the fact that it's going to change. Like your sex life is going to ebb and flow with so many life transitions. I mean, personally, I've had I have three children and my husband and I both work and yes, it changes all the time. <laughs> like depending on like school and work and kids and bodies. Oh my gosh, bodies, you know. So I think that that's a really good thing to remember. It's going to change. It's not going to stay the same. So it's really important to keep talking about it. And also another great thing that she mentioned was the fact that we need to step back and rem- and just kind of figure out where all of our sexual beliefs are coming from. I think that was such a great point of You know, we get so narrow-minded on sex and sex in the relationship, but I love everything she said about like figuring out where those sexual beliefs are coming from. Is it from your childhood? Is it from, you know, society? What are your beliefs about sex? And sharing and exploring those. And lastly, just talking with your spouse, sharing with your spouse or your partner, or whatever, but just being open and trying to avoid shame, approaching it with love, and yeah, all of the good things. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chelsea. You are very, very welcome. And I, yeah, I love, I love this topic. I love couples. I love the whole intimacy. I feel like there's like 20 different things that we could talk about and do tons of different, you know, podcasts on and just the education portion is just so important for people. And I think that's just a huge thing. And the more educated you are, sometimes the more comfortable you become with something and the more aware you become of yourself and your partner. And it's just, it's sex is no different. And it's, it's a game changer when you sort of figure it out and it all clicks and it's like, oh, we're all on the same page and this feels nice. And it's okay that it feels nice and you should reward yourself with that. So thank you so much for having me on and and inviting me onto your podcast. And I really appreciate that. Thank you guys. Yes, no problem. And hopefully for you listening, you can take some of these things and it will be a game changer for you. All the good sex. All of it. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.